0: We've been studying through the Gospel of Luke together in a series entitled Jesus Came to Seek and to Save. And today we come to a message in Luke chapter 6 verses 12 through 19 entitled The Mission of God in the World. In verse 12, it says, During those days, Luke is drawing us into a larger narrative about the Galilean ministry of Jesus. You remember that Jesus' home base was in the Galilee province in that region. And the Sermon on the Mount, the Transfiguration, and 25 out of the 35 miracles of Jesus that are recorded actually took place in the Galilee region. Jesus came on the mission of God into the world. Anytime we go on mission, it has the potential to be dangerous, but it's especially dangerous when you're coming on the type of mission that Jesus was because it would ultimately cost him his life. Of course, he willingly gave his life, but there were difficulties along the way and then great suffering at the end on our behalf. I read a story about the Apollo 1, which was in the early days of the space program in the United States. And in 1967, they were getting ready to send the Apollo 1 into space to orbit the earth. And they were doing a test run. So they were there on the launch pad getting ready to do this test run. And something went tragically wrong. Somewhere in what amounted to 31 miles of wiring on the wire had been stripped of its insulation and that bare wire was near a cooling line and it caused a violent chemical reaction and the entire Apollo 1 went up in flames and the astronauts perished. A reminder that a mission can be dangerous. The mission of Jesus was dangerous in the world because he entered into a sinful world. He entered into a world that was full of danger and difficulty. And as Jesus began to do his Galilee ministry, the opposition began to grow. The religious people didn't like what was happening. And these events that are recorded took place probably somewhere around a year before the death of Jesus. And I wanna ask this question in the next few minutes as we think about this together and consider the scripture. How did Jesus set up the ongoing mission of God in the world. How did Jesus set up the ongoing mission of God in the world? Well, first, the mission of God in the world depends on prayer. It depends on prayer. Look at verse 12. The Bible says that he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent all night in prayer to God. Now, Jesus was in his humanity, just like us, in the sense that when he got to the end of the day and he had been ministering, he had been serving, he was tired. And a typical end of the day for him would conclude with him going to sleep and getting some rest, just like we need to do. But this was a special night. It was a special night because it was the eve of the selection of his apostles those people who would be closest to him, who would minister most closely with him as he carried out his ministry on the earth. And in light of all of that growing opposition that Jesus was facing, he was in need of wisdom in selecting these servants, and he was in need of prayer. And not only was this a special night, it was also a special prayer as well, Luke uses an interesting phrase to describe Jesus' prayer that I think is somewhat lost in translation. The scripture says, in prayer to God, but literally it's translated prayer of God. It's interesting because it's the only time that this phrase is used by Luke, and it's the only occasion that we find it this way in the entire Bible. It was in this prayer of God that Christ prayed all night. I think what it represents is that the prayer of God was a deep communion between Jesus the Son and God the Father. There's almost this idea here that there was a deliberation within the Trinity as Jesus was determining who his apostles were going to be. Now Luke's gospel emphasizes for us Jesus as the Son of Man, and he often shows the importance of the prayer life of Jesus. Uh, in his ministry on the earth you remember at the baptism of jesus jesus is praying when the popularity of jesus was increasing and and people began to crush in on him and really press in on him because they knew what he was capable of doing jesus would slip away and he would go and pray and commune with the father Uh, Evidently, the disciples had seen Jesus pray so much that they wanted to know what he was praying and how to pray. And they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And then we see Jesus near the end of his life praying uh, as he's facing suffering on the cross and and communing with the Father. Now, we should remind ourselves, uh, because the mission of God in the world depends on prayer, that we are in total dependence on God. And that's really what prayer communicates. It communicates that we are in total dependence on God in our lives. Prayer and the mission of God are intricately connected. We cannot separate prayer and the mission of God. And we see it time and again later on in the Apostle Paul's missionary ministry and his work where he would connect prayer to gospel fruit. In fact, he would pray and he would ask the churches to pray for the mission of God that it would advance... And not only that it would advance, but that as it advanced, that people would come to know Jesus. So the mission is God's mission, and prayer fuels the mission of God. So we're not asking primarily what we want God to do for us. We're asking for God to do what he wants to do and for him to do it through us. And in this sense, our dependence on God leads us to the blessing because we're doing what God wants us to do. We're recognizing that we're asking the Lord to fulfill his will through us. There's a 20th century missionary by the name of Samuel Zwimmer. And he said, the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. And I think that's so true even in our day as we are seeing more and more unreached peoples reached. Those peoples are being reached first by God's people beginning to pray, by God's people having a burden on their hearts and recognizing the need to come to the throne of God and to ask God to move and to work and to bring about his purposes. And we pray and we ask God how he wants to use us and especially in a time of crisis like we're in right now, our dependence on God is expressed through prayer. We're praying for people who need to know Jesus. We're praying for people who are experiencing difficulties. We're praying for our own faithfulness in sharing Jesus, and then we're praying for opportunities as we share, and we're praying beyond ourselves, for our region, our state, our nation, and then ultimately for the global mission of God. So the mission of God in the world depends on prayer. Second, the mission of God in the world utilizes people. It's God's plan to utilize people. I pick back up reading here in verse 13 of Luke chapter 6, and we'll go through verse 16. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, you'll note here that one of the main things Jesus was praying for that night on the mountain was the people who would carry out the mission of God in the world. And it says that Jesus summoned his disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple very simply is a follower and a learner we find this term in the gospels and in the book of acts repeatedly this idea of someone who is a follower and who is a learner in Luke's gospel he uses the word disciple some 40 times and Jesus is praying here not just for his disciples at large Jesus is praying here for the 12 apostles an apostle is one who is sent an apostle is one who is commissioned by God and the apostles were going to be trained by Jesus and then when they were trained by Jesus they were going to be sent out by Jesus and these men would change the world God would use them to begin to spread the gospel and then the gospel would come all the way to the ends of the earth and people like us would be beneficiaries because we've heard about the good news of Jesus and Jesus would focus his time and his effort to teach and to train these men for the mission. I think in part, this is a reminder for us of the importance of pouring into other people and being sure that they are too following Jesus and then learning about him. And then in turn, sharing him with other people that's part of the work of the church that's part of my role to serve you to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry because we want to see a continued multiplication of disciples until Jesus returns that's God's plan that he would utilize people in the world and that's what Jesus was going to do in his ministry Now, we're not real sure why Jesus chose the number 12. I think likely it's because they represent the 12 tribes of Israel symbolically. And I say that because Jesus later told them uh, that in his kingdom, they would sit on the 12 thrones and they would judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So in part, what Jesus is doing here is he is uh, laying his claim to the nation of Israel as the long-awaited Messiah. He's the promise He's the one who was foretold about all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where it says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The Old Old Testament is really an, an unfolding narrative. It's the story of the promise of the coming Messiah. And then in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Now, who were these disciples chosen in Luke 6? The Bible tells us here that They were Simon, whom he also named Peter. You remember that Peter, by trade, was a fisherman, and he first lived in Bethsaida and then in Capernaum. Uh, The name Peter that was given to him by Jesus means rock. It's a description not of who he was when Jesus called him. It's a description of who he would become in Jesus. Andrew, his brother, who was also a fisherman, who actually brought his brother to Jesus, James and John, who are referenced several times in the Gospels, probably because of their fiery personalities and the fact that Jesus referred to them as the sons of thunder. I wonder what you would have to do to be referred to as the sons of thunder by the Son of God. But at any rate, James and John were chosen as two of his disciples. And then Philip, he too was from Bethsaida, When he responded to the call of Jesus, he found Nathanael and said to him in John 1 in verse 45, the one about whom Moses wrote in the law and about whom the prophets wrote, we have found Jesus, son of Joseph, the one from Nazareth. Bartholomew, I think, is the Nathanael of John's gospel. And he said to Philip, out of Nazareth can any good come? And it was Philip who said to him, come and see And then Matthew, whom Luke has already discussed a good bit back in chapter 5. Thomas, who is known to us as doubting Thomas because of his concern about the resurrected Christ. And it was Thomas who needed to see the proof when Jesus was risen from the dead, and he made the proclamation, my Lord and my God. And then James, the son of Alphaeus, referred to as James the Less or James the Younger in Mark's gospel, Simon, who was called the Zealot. He probably had belonged to the party of the Zealots, people who had readily pushed back against the oppression of the government. Judas, the son of James, called Thaddeus and Matthew. And then finally, Judas Iscariot. Oh, what a sad story. Judas Iscariot, the one who became a traitor. He was in this group. And you know why I think he was in this group? Because it reminds us that we live in a sin-fallen world. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that uh, is less than perfect. And even when the Son of Man called his disciples to serve with him, he had one among those disciples, those apostles, who would turn his back on him. We live in a broken world. But here's the beautiful thing. This is the good news for us. When God redeems us, He uses us in his mission in the world. Note here, four were fishermen. One was a tax collector. One of them turned out to be a trader. We don't know for sure the occupations of the others, but what we do know is that they were were commoners. The apostles were ordinary men whom God chose and used in extraordinary ways to change the world for eternity. These were people who failed and struggled and doubted. These were people who at one point in the ministry of Jesus ran from the danger. But most importantly, they were men who trusted by faith what God called them to do. And I'm always fascinated by the thought that the church is made up largely of ordinary people like us. Did you know we are an odd collection of people? But yet, God takes this odd collection of people and He uses us for His glory. That God would take people like us who are ordinary people and use us to make a difference in His world? Somebody said God must love ordinary people a lot because He sure makes a lot of them. And for that, I'm most thankful. I think one of the clearest illustrations Jesus gave about the condition of the lost and the responsibility of the saved and the mission is the analogy of the harvest that he gives in Matthew chapter 9. He speaks in Matthew chapter 9 of the harvest being ready and being plentiful, but the laborers being few. Now, in those days, they would have easily connected with a harvest Analogy: They were an agrarian culture. Many of us are not, most of us are not anymore. But yet we can understand the point that Jesus is making. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 and following. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness when he saw the crowds he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd and then he said to his disciples the harvest is abundant it's plentiful but the workers are few therefore pray to the lord of the harvest to send out workers or laborers into his harvest church what we need is we need to understand the mission and we need to have a heart for it we need people who are willing to to go into the harvest and God is a God who will use us if we will only live sent we need to pray for people to be raised up as missionaries and church planters We need to pray for churches to be planted, even as we're in the season of the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. That's the point of that offering, is that we would see disciples raised up as they come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through the hope of the gospel. And then as disciples are made, labors will be sent out, churches will be planted, and the mission of God will continue to advance, and we'll have the opportunity to be able to be a part of it. Because God utilizes people in his mission to the world. Third, the mission of God in the world is carried out in power. It's carried out in power. Let's pick back up here in our passage in Luke chapter 6 and verse 17. And we'll read through verse 19. The Bible says, after coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. So it tells us here that Jesus came down from where he was to the people to minister to the crowd, now this is fascinating because people were coming from great distances to be healed by Jesus and to be touched by Jesus. It's interesting that these cities of Tyre and Sidon were mentioned because those were gentile cities. The word of the power of Jesus had spread out far and wide and the people were coming so that they could get close to Jesus because they had needs. And as they came near, Jesus taught God's word, he healed the sick, He cast out demons, and all of this was accomplished through an inexhaustible supply of God's power. Now, what's this connection? Jesus had the inexhaustible supply of the power of God in him, but the inexhaustible supply of the power of God flowed through him, and we are beneficiaries of God's power. We're beneficiaries of the work of God in the world through his power. Later on, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle who was called out of due time by Jesus himself, he expressed his understanding of our weakness that provides ready ground for God's power. And here's what 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, this is an interesting illustration because he referred to the ancient practice of hiding priceless treasure in common earthen clay pots beneath the earth. The treasure is the gospel. The jars of clay uh, is representative of frail humanity. So the point is, the good news of Jesus is committed to common people. And when the good news of Jesus is committed to common, ordinary people, the immensity of God's power is seen, and God gets the glory. You see, we gotta be careful about drawing attention to ourselves or making the focus on us, or even on our church, or even on what we're doing in the world. We want the focus to be on God. We want the focus to be on his power. And we want God to get the glory for it. So I think what we need to do is to be willing to embrace the paradox. The paradox of our weakness, but God's strength. And oftentimes Christianity as a whole is, is criticized because it's said to be for the weak. Well, I don't appreciate the criticism. I actually agree with that because we are frail and if nothing else this time that we're going through right now has reminded us that our time on earth is limited regardless of what happens and none of us know what tomorrow holds but if our faith is in the Lord and our confidence is in him then we can depend on his power regardless of what the circumstances are you remember in the great commission Jesus told his disciples in acts chapter 1 and verse 8 but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and and in judea and in samaria and then all the way to the ends of the earth and i think sometimes the reason that the church doesn't experience the fruit that we would like to see as a as a whole is because we've not depended on the power of God working through the people of God as we depend on God in prayer. And that's what we want to see happen because the mission of God in the world is carried out in power. When a person comes to know Jesus and is saved, that is the redemptive power of God at work when we have a need and we pray to the Father and we ask the Father to meet our need and then that need is met, then that's the power of God that is working in us. We're seeing it on display. And all the while, we're returning the thanks back to God because we're saying, God, none of this would be possible if it were not for your power at work in us. That's how the mission of God in the world is carried out in power. I want to give you this statement and I'm going to come toward a close. We are blessed to serve our great God in his mission in the world. Let's pray, serve and trust. Let me say that again. We are blessed to serve our great God in his mission in the world. Let's pray, serve and trust. The mission of God in the world is the great theme of the Bible there's that thread that runs through the entire narrative of the scripture and the mission of God always points back to the son of God and it always results in the glory of God it's the idea that God has revealed himself to us so that we might know him and then because we know him that we might answer his call and because we answer his call that we might be willing to turn other people toward him so I want to ask two questions as I close Number one, do you know him? Has there come a time in your life where you've recognized the holiness of God and your sin and your need for him, but the separation that your sin has caused? And that you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus saves. And you've called on him in repentance and faith and received him as your Savior and Lord. Do you know him? If you don't, now would be a good time to trust him. There's never a bad time to trust in Jesus, but now would be a a great time to trust in Jesus because today is the day of salvation. And if you don't know him, you could come by faith and become his disciple. You could become his follower and know not only that you're gonna go to heaven someday when this life is over, but that you're gonna have a purpose in your life in the here and now. God will use you in his plan to reach the world that they might know him and bring glory and praise to him. And then my second question is this, if you know him, are you making him known? Church, are you living in such a way that you're depending on God and making him known in your sphere of influence, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your Co workers, the people that you come into contact with on a regular basis, uh, the people that you interact with in the social media world, are you representing Christ in such a way that they would want to know the Christ that you say you know? Are you making him known? And if you're not, maybe today you want to make a new commitment just to say, Lord, I want to represent you well in the world. And I'm grateful to be a part of your mission. And I want to make you known. And God will use a humble heart like that. God will use somebody that wants to be used by them. Let's bow our heads together and pray. And after we pray, Pastor Eric is going to lead us toward a closing song. And then I'll conclude our service. Dear God, thank you for this Uh, Example in the life and the ministry of Jesus as he was facing increasing difficulty. uh, He sought you in prayer. And if the Son of God in his life on this earth saw the need to seek you in prayer, then certainly we must be in great need of prayer. Make us a praying people that our faith would be expressed in our dependence and our devotion to you thank you Lord for using imperfect people like us just as you chose those first apostles you have called us out of darkness and into light to be uh, your disciples and uh, to be your representatives in the world and we want to do that well we want to do it faithfully but God we can't do it apart from your power there's no way we can do anything of eternal effect if it's not independence on your power So help us to grow in faith. And Father, I pray if there be anybody under the sound of my voice who has never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that now would be the time that they would see your love, that you sent your only son to live and to die and to now live again, that we might be forgiven and have everlasting life pray that all of us would receive this great treasure and then in turn it would be lived out through the vessels of our lives I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, God it's easy for us to get complacent it's easy for us to get discouraged it's easy for us to forget what we're supposed to be focused on so help us to focus like never before and Lord we want to see your great power at work in this generation we want to do our part to reach the nations with the gospel And we can only do that in dependence on you. So we pray your blessings on our efforts and that Christ will be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen.